Well, good evening. Good to see all of you this evening. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 tonight. Continuing our series in the book of Acts. And, you know, every chapter is great and has some good stuff in it. But tonight what's really cool is the great missionary Paul, this is his first missionary journey. And so it's very significant, not only in Paul's life, but really in the expansion of Christianity. And so there's several things that I think are key in this chapter that I want to point out tonight. And if I had to title this chapter, I'd go back to a very unspiritual source, the Blues Brothers, and title this chapter, On a Mission from God, because that's what Paul and Barnabas are on. They are on a mission from God. Well, first of all, let's look at the first three verses. I want us to see the call of Barnabas and Saul by the Holy Spirit, but I want us to also see the environment that that takes place in because that has something to say to you and I. There were these prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch, and notice they had a multiplicity of prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch. Simeon called Niger, Lucius the Cyrenian, Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch from childhood, and Saul. While they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted and prayed and placed their hands on them, they sent them off. I want us to notice something here. First of all, This is a very important assignment that God has. The the expansion of the gospel into these Gentile regions, but also where Jews are as well. In a sense, the first swath that Paul and Barnabas are going to take is across an island called Cyprus. And they're literally going to traverse from one end of that island all the way to the other and then move on to other regions. So it's a very strategic, significant, and important assignment. And notice something. God chooses his very best for the toughest assignments. We need to be encouraged by that. Sometimes, as Christians, we may be, God, why is what you're asking me to do or calling me to do so hard? And I want us to all be reminded that God honors us both individually and as a church, when he asks us to do something hard, something maybe beyond the norm. And that's what he's going to ask Saul and Barnabas. Because notice here, very clearly, it's not men who are making this decision about this missionary team. This is clearly, they hear the voice and the moving and the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit in verse 2. The Holy Spirit said... And so the church is in a position where they can hear, if you will, the voice of the Spirit, where they can can discern the will of the Spirit. That is so important. But how were they able to do that? Well, notice the environment that was here. Verse 2, very important. While they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. You see, This church wasn't just sitting back doing nothing, just waiting for God to move. No. Just like we said Sunday, in order to, you know, know the will of God better, 
do what you know God has already asked you to do. So they were already engaged. They were already doing something. They, they were serving the Lord in some capacity, even if it was just praying regularly and talking to people about Jesus when they got the opportunity and obviously reading the Old Testament scriptures and they were doing what they could do and, and they were fasting. You know, at times, it's important that either we have a, a corporate fast or as individuals that we say, something is so important in my life. I, I want to know God's direction. I want to know His will. I, I want to know the next step that He wants me to take so much that I'm not just going to pray about it. I'm going to pray and fast about it. I'm going to do what I, I'm going to put myself in the way of God. I'm going to pray because we know the church was a praying church. I'm going to serve and I'm going to fast. I'm going to show God I mean business. And so the whole environment of the church was one where they were showing God by what they were doing. God, we mean business and we're not satisfied with what we've accomplished and where we've gone and what we've done so far. We want more, God. We want more of you and we want more of what you want us from us. And it was at that time then that the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Notice something else. God is very specific about the people that he places together in partnerships. God has a plan. And there's reasons why God says, I want you to work with so-and-so, and I want you to minister alongside so-and-so. He understands us even better than we understand ourselves. And God knows exactly what, what partners and what ministry companions and all of that that we need to be doing things with because God understands who we would fit best with. And God was working here in the midst of this church putting Barnabas and Saul together. By the way, also note something, and we're going to see the change here in this chapter in the emergence of Paul. But notice here that Paul gets second billing. You know, we would think, Paul. But at this point, Barnabas is sort of, you know, the, the one that is mentoring Paul still at this point. And Paul has not yet emerged as, as the leader, if you will. And we're not seeing all the potential that God placed in Paul yet. But it's coming, and it ignites, actually, in this chapter. Now, here's the work. Verse 4. So Barnabas and Saul, sent out by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So notice they were not only set apart by the Holy Spirit, and the only way that could happen is that they were in tune with the leading, guiding, and voice of the Holy Spirit. They could discern the voice of God in what he wanted, who he wanted to do it, and where he wanted to send them, and then he was the one that sent them. Yes, the church placed their hands on them. Yes, they prayed for them and all of that. But ultimately, it wasn't the church that was sending Barnabas and Saul. It was the Holy Spirit. It was God that was sending them there. And how powerful it is when you and I know that what we are engaged in, what we are doing, the ministry we are involved in, is something that the Holy Spirit has called us to do, has laid on our hearts to do. That is so important because there's going to come days as we minister for the Lord, if we truly don't believe that the Holy Spirit put us there, then we will either get discouraged, we will get defeated, uh, we will 
we will get to a place where we will roll up the white flag and say done because even those of us who know we are called, we even have those days of struggle where it's like this is really hard and I just want to give up and I just want to quit. If we who are called and know we are called by God to the ministry God gives us struggle at times, then how much more do those who are trying to, in a sense, serve the Lord, but they're not sure that this is exactly where the Holy Spirit wants them. It's important that you and I learn that. Where is that place? Where, in a sense, am I as one of the living stones in the building that God is building? Where do I fit in? And am I making sure that it is of the Holy Spirit and that I have heard His voice and that I sense His leading? Now, just like everywhere else, their primary mission, if you will, from God was this, verse 5, to proclaim the Word of God. That's what it was, to proclaim the Word of God. But because there's all these principles that are sort of spread out over the chapter, I want to take these one at a time. So I want to run this out a little bit about the Word of God for this reason. Remember, the Bible teaches that the Word of God is like seed that we can plant. And, and even Jesus in the parable said, you know, that the seed represents the Word of God and it can be scattered in so many places. But it's not that there's a deficiency or problem with the seed if a harvest doesn't come. And it's not even a problem with the person who's scattering the seed and, and sharing the seed, if you will, and spreading it out that... Whatever kind of harvest is going to be produced always goes back to the condition of the soil that we have when the seed lands. And that's important for you and I to remember. Whether we are receiving the word ourselves, is it penetrating, is it doing what it's supposed to do? But even as God calls us forth to go and share, again, it's not up to us what the response is of others. All God asks us to do is get his word out there, to proclaim the word of God, spread it, share it, its seed. Is it always going to germinate and bring forth a harvest? No, because not everybody's heart in which the word of God is spread is ready to receive it, will allow it to penetrate and transform and change. And we see that principle here, even in this chapter. Notice, for instance, and we're going to come back to Paul's sermon. This is Paul's first sermon that is recorded in the Bible, and it begins in verse 16. But I want you to go over, first of all, to verse 27. For in the middle of Paul's sermon, here's what he says. The people who live in Jerusalem, Jewish people, and their rulers, Jewish rulers. In other words, these were people who knew the Old Testament Scriptures did not recognize him, meaning Jesus, their Messiah. And they fulfilled the sayings of the prophets. Now, notice these next six words that are read every Sabbath. Excuse me, five words. Read every Sabbath. Think about that now. Let that sink in. These people were exposed to the Scriptures every Sabbath day. They heard the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Messiah and the suffering servant and all of that out of Isaiah, and they missed it. 
So again, it reminds us, it's not a matter of hearing the word. A lot of people go to Bible studies and a lot of people attend churches where the word of God is taught and preached and all of that. And you can even sit down as an individual and open up your Bible every day and you can read it. But is your heart in a place where it's making a difference in our lives? That's the real question. Because these people had the scriptures read every Sabbath day and they still did not recognize their Messiah. And that's why then over in verse 40, at the end of Paul's sermon, he says, watch out. Literally, the word in the Greek is beware then that what is spoken about by the prophets does not happen to you. In other words, that you all now that are listening to the word of God through me and my message, that the same thing won't happen, that it won't penetrate your heart, that, that you will harden your heart and stiffen your neck, and it won't do what God intends his word to do. So first of all, in this chapter, we see the commissioning of this great missionary team, Barnabas and Saul, and we learn some great things about that. And now we see the importance of the Word of God, but even more important, the condition of one's heart in order to receive the Word of God. And now I want us to go back to the beginning of the chapter, or towards the beginning of the chapter, and also note this, that God is getting ready to move. In fact, the governor of Cyprus, a man by the name of Sergius Paulus that we're introduced to there in, in uh, verse 17, is going to open up his heart eventually to the Lord and to the good news about Jesus Christ. But before that happens, notice also that when there's a great moving of God and God is on the move, that Satan intensifies his opposition and his attacks. And I want to pause there as the pastor of this church and, and just remind all of us here tonight, we all need to be aware of that right now, even in the season that we are in, because we are in a wonderful season. We've now completed eight weeks of opening our church, and God is moving in so many people's lives. But I've got to tell you, and I realize not, not everyone here, and maybe even most of you, don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but I just want to share something with you. Satan is very active right now as well. Very active. There, there's little deals with people in our church, with each other, and there's, there's little deals with, with people um, not willing to follow leadership in, in certain things. And, and, and there, you can just see with all the wonderful things that are happening and, you know, we're going to have a crowd here for our grand opening and ninth anniversary on Sunday and it's going to be a great day of celebration. But you and I have to understand whether individually in our lives we are making great strides and God is moving in our life and we're moving forward or whether as a community of believers we're doing the same thing. Satan is not going to sit there and take it. He's going to hurl everything he can to oppose, to challenge, to disrupt, to distract. That's what he's always done and that's what he will continue to do, which is why we need to be on the alert and beware as well. Because notice that when they got to this place where the proconsul was in verse 7, it says then in verse 8, a magician named Alemus, for that's how his name was translated, opposed them trying to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Literally, 
It was like this man was being used by the devil to be a roadblock in the path between God's people, Barnabas and Saul, and the message of life that they had, and this man, Sergius Paulus, the governor of Cyprus, that, that wanted to open up his heart to God. There was an obstacle in the way. And that's the way Satan works. He's not going to give us as a church or give us individually a clear path whenever God is moving and he's working and people's lives are being changed and eternity is being impacted. He will throw up opposition after opposition. I want you to see that throughout this chapter as well. I want you to go over with me uh, towards the end in verse 45 where the people in verse 44 of the city, are assembled. They want to hear the word of God. In fact, they're begging for Paul to continue to preach. But notice in verse 45, it says, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what Paul was saying by reviling him. There again, opposition. God is doing a great work, but Satan is intensifying his attack. And then at the end of the chapter, again, verse 49, the word of the Lord was spread, spreading through the entire region. God was moving. God was working. But notice in verse 50, there were Jews who stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and threw them out of the region. I want us to see that. Yeah, this is wonderful. Missionary journey, Paul's first of many. The world is being changed. God is on the move. People are being saved. Lives are being changed. But let's also not forget that during this whole time too, there is every step of the way, there is challenge and there is opposition. There's roadblocks. We ought to take comfort in that. I know that sounds strange, but we should take comfort in that. You individually, when you're moving forward with God and all of a sudden you start to get all these winds of adversity coming against you, honestly, it ought to bring a smile because it's like I'm doing something right because, boy, the enemy's really active right now. Can I tell you, as the pastor, that's exactly why I'm not discouraged by what's happening. I'm actually like, okay. That means we're doing something right because the enemy is certainly very active right now. Because if we weren't doing anything right, if God wasn't moving, if God wasn't working, if people's lives weren't being changed, the enemy would just leave us alone. There'd be no reason for him to be so active. He is very active whenever things are really happening for the positive, for God. And that's exactly what we see here in Acts chapter 13, which is why at the very end, you see the disciples giving thanks even in hard places because it says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, that's always a sign that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to control us is when we're full of joy, no matter what the circumstances. They, they just got thrown out. Yeah, but they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit because they knew we're doing what God has called us to do. And even though we're facing rejection and opposition and all of these things, we're actually full of joy because we know we're on the right track. We know we're doing what God wants us to do. And I hope you'll take heart in that as well, both individually and being part of a church like ours. So we see that in this chapter as well. In fact, if you go back to chapter 13, verse 11, 
or excuse me, verse 9, here's where, here's where Saul, in a sense, becomes Paul, if you will, and starts to emerge and starts to uh, take on a more prominent role. Because when they faced that opposition from the magician, it wasn't Barnabas that sort of stood up and stood against him. Notice it was Saul. And notice something also very important. When you and I take on demonic forces and spiritual opposition, we better make sure, just like Saul, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because just like Jesus said to his followers, remember that story where they were, you know, for a while they were casting out demons and all that. And remember something, just as there are ranks of good angels, there's also ranks, if you will, of, of evil angels or demons. And they came back from this one time they were out in ministry and they were like so defeated. And they were like, Jesus, we used to be able to cast out demons, but we couldn't cast these out. And remember what Jesus said? He said, those kind only come out by prayer and fasting. In other words, they're more powerful than the other ones you ran into. And they're just not going to go like that. You better make sure you're full of the Holy Spirit and that you prayed and you fasted and you're ready for this battle because you're on a battlefield. And so the Bible says Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. He stared straight at this man and he said, you are full of all deceit and all wrongdoing, you son of the devil. Paul hadn't read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But here's the thing. When you and I are engaged in spiritual warfare, there's a time to be, my gloves are coming off because I, this is about the devil and, and a man who is now being used as his instrument to try to keep this other man, this governor of Cyprus, from coming to know the Lord Jesus. And that is so serious. His eternal soul and destiny is in the balance here. This man needs to be swept out of the way. And just like God took his hand and wiped Herod off the earth, Paul was saying, God, re remove this man so that he is no longer an obstacle so that we can continue to go towards Sergius Paulus and share with him what he needs to hear. He goes on to say, you are an enemy of all righteousness and you will not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Now look, the hand of the Lord is against you. That's huge. Because remember back in chapter 11, verse 21, the Bible says about this group of people that were taking the gospel, that the hand of the Lord was with them. There's a contrast. I'd much rather have the hand of the Lord with me than the hand of the Lord against me. And Saul's saying to this man, the hand of the Lord is against you because you are opposing what God wants to do in this man's life. Well, here's what I love. In spite of this opposition, this man came to become a believer, and I love this. Look at verse 12. This is very interesting. When the proconsul saw what had happened, yes, this magician was struck with blindness, and he had to have somebody lead him, but that's not what astounded him. Notice what astounded him. It wasn't what was happening. It's what he heard. He believed because he was greatly astounded at the teaching about the Lord. That's what astounded this governor of Cyprus. And when you think about it, that makes sense. Because we should still, even as Christians, be astounded at the teaching about our Lord. 
that he's a God of unconditional love, that he's a God of mercy, that he's a God of forgiveness, that he's a God who left the glories of heaven and came in an earthly form and died on the cross for us, took our sins on himself in our place, and then gave us his righteousness in exchange for our sin. Every time you hear about the amazing God that we know and, and that we are related to, it should astound us just like it did him. Wow, what a God. What God would do that? Because remember, just like even today, many people's gods are very angry and capricious and, and judgmental and, and unfaithful and, and you, you don't know what you're going to get and untrustworthy and all of this. God is absolutely the opposite of that. And it should always, just as it did the governor of, of Cyprus, it should always astound us when we hear teaching about our Lord. So the Bible then says in verse 16 that, Saul, that Paul now, they don't use Saul anymore. Now it's Paul from here on out. Paul stood up and basically began to preach his first message, if you will, that is recorded in Scripture. And it says something about preaching in those days. It was basically recounting the Old Testament scriptures. But in that, I want us to note something. That the very center of Paul's message here to these people who wanted to hear more about this amazing God that the governor had embraced was he centered his preaching on Jesus Christ. We see that in verse 23 when Paul said, from the descendants of this man, God brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, just as he promised. Then over in verse 38, Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this one, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by this one, everyone who believes is justified from everything which the law of Moses could not justify you. By the way, that word justify there literally means to be set free. By this one, Jesus, everyone who believes is set free. Set free from having to live up to the law, which you and I as human beings can't live up to anyway. And again, how dramatic for a Jewish person to hear that, who was always trying to be good enough to somehow merit, you know, a relationship with God. And Paul here is basically saying it's by God's grace. It's not by trying to live up to a set of rules and regulations which you and I could never live up to anyway. Jesus Christ set us free from that. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that's what Paul was preaching as well. And the Bible says that many people came to know the Lord through Paul's ministry of preaching. Now, Notice this, verse 42, later on, as Paul and Barnabas now were going out, the people were urging them to speak about these things on the next Sabbath. I love that. Hey, can we come back to church next week and hear the very same things? Like, we can't wait to get there. To me, that's the way the people of God should be. That, that we, we can't wait to get back the next time to see what God's going to do through our time of worship and through our time in the Word and through our time together when God meets with His people. 
When the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. Now notice the switch there, by the way. The beginning of the chapter was Barnabas and Saul. Now it's Paul and Barnabas. Paul has emerged now as the leader even amongst these two, you see. But I love this. Both of them are a team. Both of them are united and in this together. It's not about which one is named first and which one gets the glory. God is going to get the glory for what they do. They're just here together to unite together and to serve the Lord because the Holy Spirit's the one that put this team together. And it says that as they were speaking to these people, this is a very important thing for you and I to remember. They were persuading them, the end of verse 43, to continue in the grace of God. Literally to remain attached to, to adhere ourselves, to glue ourselves to God's grace. In other words, Paul and Barnabas were saying, you're saved by grace, but we also live by grace. And don't take one step of your life without God's grace. Rely and depend upon the Lord Look to him to give you the supernatural empowerment and enablement you need. Don't ever get to a place in your life as a Christian where you stop looking for the grace of God and continuing in it because there's never a time here on earth where we should live without the grace of God. That's a great message for you and I, to always live our lives out continuing to adhere ourselves and be attached to the grace of God. Notice something else. In verse 45, when they were getting this opposition and people were reviling them, another time you can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives is in verse 46 when it says, Paul and Barnabas replied courageously, courageously. Our courage comes from the filling of the Holy Spirit. Our joy comes from the filling of the Holy Spirit. And when you and I are doing the work of the God, we work of God, we need it. Because, like I said, the more we take more territory for God, the more the enemy is going to push back. And we need to make sure that we are filled with the Holy Spirit every day, that we were relying on the grace of God and allowing His grace and the Holy Spirit to give us the strength and the courage and all of that we need to continue to press forward and move forward in spite of the winds of adversity against us. But I want you to also note this. This is very important as well. And this is something that you and I need to, as Christians, remember especially when we are sharing the gospel with those that don't believe. Paul and Barnabas replied courageously, verse 46, it was necessary to speak the word of God to you first. He's speaking primarily to Jews here. Now notice what he says. Since you reject it, the word means to thrust or push away. In other words, it's not just no, it's no. And do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, therefore we are turning to the Gentiles. I, I want to direct your attention to that phrase, you do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. Now, here's what Paul and Barnabas are not saying. They're not saying that God owes us 
eternal life. What they are saying is this, that when people like this literally push the gospel, reject it by thrusting it away or pushing it away and want nothing to do with it, it is because they do not see themselves as valuable enough in God's eyes for God to do this for them. Now think about that. That's important. Because we live in a world where people don't value others and they don't even value themselves. And that's part of why you're seeing such a rejection against God and against the good news of Jesus even today. We think many times as Christians, it's because they're evil and wicked. Well, guess what? We're all totally depraved. But the Bible shines a light on something very important here that actually, at the heart of it, what's really happening is they don't think that they are valuable enough for God to die for them. Now again, not that they even understand all of it, but that's really what Paul and Barnabas are saying when they say you do not consider yourselves worthy. The word means deserving of. In other words, you don't think you're valuable enough in God's eyes for him to have left heaven, take upon a human body, and to take upon your sin and die on the cross. You don't consider yourself valuable enough in God's eyes for him to do that for you. That's something for you and I to meditate on and contemplate. And here's why. Because even after we become a Christian, isn't it true that sometimes some of us, maybe not all of us, struggle with our value to God? God, I'm just me, and I don't have much to offer, and I'm really no big deal, and I've got nothing, and all this and that. And we devalue ourselves. And what I think God would very lovingly say to us is he would, in some ways... Because this is the way I am with my grandchildren. When I really want to make a point, I get my hands, I get, I get around their face, and I just gently look them in the eye, and I, and I, I would say what, what God's going to say here. Jeff, did I not think you were valuable enough that I sent my one and only son to this earth to die for you? That's how valuable you are to me. That's how we have to think about ourselves. Because we actually demean God when we don't place enough value on ourselves to think that Jesus Christ thought we were valuable enough to go through all that he went through for us. That shows the value that he places on every human being because God so loved the world. And so a very important point, but one more that I want to end with tonight. I'm going to run just a couple minutes over but this is so important that we end here. After all of this opposition and all of these obstacles, as they said, well, you know what? If you're going to reject it, we're moving on to the Gentiles. There has to be in Christians and there has to be in churches a sense of resiliency and tenacity. And, and when we get knocked down, we just get back up and we keep on moving on because we're going to get knocked down and we're going to get rejected and, and people are going to push us away and, and walk away and all of those things. 
We just got to get back up and keep on doing what God wants us to do. And so I love the response here when it says in verse 51, so after they were thrown out, they shook the dust off their feet and protest against them, and they went on, filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And I want to direct your attention in closing to that phrase, shook the dust off their feet and moved on. Because that is a picture that you and I should have in our minds in order to continue to persevere and endure in life and especially in ministry and in service for the Lord. Is there's times where we just need to shake the dust off and move on. Because there's going to be people who are going to try to put dust on us, if you will, and bury us. Bury us. And we've got to have the attitude, I'm just shaking off what they said about me or about us or whatever, and I'm moving on. I'm not going to let it, as we sang about tonight, and I love that song Nicole picked, you define me. Nobody else defines us. You define me. I think I shared this story many years ago, and some of you, I'm sure, have heard it before, but I'll, I'll end with this. There was a story of a cruel farmer. I say cruel because what he did to his poor little old burrow was cruel. He felt his burrow had lived out its usefulness. So the old cruel farmer went to his backyard and dug this big hole and threw his burrow in there. And he was just going to bury it alive. So he starts shoveling dirt on top of the burrow. And you know, the burrow just shook the dust off, stamped it down on the ground, and stepped up. And the farmer just kept throwing the dirt on top of the burrow. The burrow kept shaking it off, packing it down, and stepping up. And every time the farmer would throw dirt on, the burrow just kept shaking it off, packing it down, and stepping up. Until finally, the burrow had gotten up so high from packing it down after shaking it off that he just walked right out of the pit. <laughs> now, in that story, there's a great lesson for you and I. When people are trying to bury us and trying to throw dust and dirt on us and make us and our church or our lives or our ministries of no effect, what God would ask of us is the same thing Barnabas and Paul did. Shake it off, pack it down, and step on up. Shake it off, pack it down, and step on up. Let's pray. God, we thank you that through the power and filling of your Holy Spirit, and by your grace, God, we are more than enough with you to meet every challenge, every obstacle, every bit of opposition that the enemy or the world or anyone throws against us. And God, we have also been reminded tonight in Acts chapter 13 that in great movements of God, when revival is taking place and the word of God is spreading, and people's lives are changing, and eternity is being affected, that the enemy intensifies their attack. And so God, you don't ask us at that time to retreat, to back down, to back off. You ask us to just shake it off, pack it down, and step on up. And I pray tonight, God, that as a church, 
that as we meet this opposition, as we meet these challenges, as we meet these obstacles, that together we will come together and we will say, no, no. Satan, you do not have the last word here. God has the last word. He defines us individually and he defines us as a church. And we're going to shake off what you're doing. We're going to pack it down and we're going to step up and we're going to keep on moving. And individually, if there are those in your life right now that are speaking lies and throwing up things in your face and trying to, and maybe they're even not even intending to do it, but to you it's causing you pain and discomfort and it's becoming a distraction that I would just encourage you, as Saul and Barnabas did, shake it off, pack it down, and keep stepping up and moving on. Because, Lord, you never promised us that when we are in the very center of your will that it would be an easy road. But you did say it would be the most fulfilling, satisfying road we could ever be on. So God, give us that spiritual tenacity, resilience, perseverance, and endurance that we need to keep on keeping on. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before I let you go, a couple things. One, think about that when you think about the Christian life. Do you know that Jesus said, remember what he said to his disciples, his followers in Matthew 7, 13 and 14? He says, enter into the narrow gate. Because why? Because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And what? Many people are going that way. But what did he say? He said, but narrow is the gate and what? Difficult is the road that leads to life, and few are willing to go that way. See, Jesus said the way of real life is difficult. And sometimes we as Christians need to be reminded of that. Hey, Sunday, grand opening, ninth anniversary. Going to be an exciting day here at the Oasis. Don't forget, leaders, park on the gravel up there so we can try to save as many parking spots as possible Try to get here early because we want everybody in the auditorium at 10 o'clock so we can have a rousing time of worship, all right? I mean a rousing time of worship. I'll leave you with this. A healthy church is filled with believers who by God's grace working in them have a passion for worship. God bless you. We'll see you next week.